0: Welcome to Brand Growth Heroes, the podcast that explores how insurgent brands in consumer goods categories are driving transformational growth. Here our guests talk not only about their brand purpose or why, but also how where they play, who they employ, and how they work has driven their incredible success. In the consumer packaged goods industry, it's rare to come across something that creates the monumental changes in consumer behavior that we're used to seeing in tech so far on brand growth heroes we've been lucky enough to have already covered two businesses that are creating meaningful radical change by reprogramming consumer behavior to reduce the negative side of the industry that they're in in episode eight we talked to tony's chuckle only whose mission is to try and eradicate slavery in the cocoa industry and in episode nine to say kill patron or the consumer brand who is revolutionizing the balance of power in the retail grocery landscape in france in favour of the consumer and the producer. Today we're talking to Tom Zaki, the 38-year-old founder of TerraCycle, the world's leading company in the collection and reuse of the non-recyclable stuff we all throw away every day. Think turning Colgate toothpaste tubes into school playgrounds, or enabling P&G to offer money-off coupons to consumers in return for their dirty pampers, which are then recycled into new materials. You may have read that TerraCycle has just launched a new company called Loop, which aims to tackle packaging waste at its root cause and could potentially see us buying all of our favourite consumer packaged goods in branded, durable and reusable containers, rather than the staple single-use packaging they're mostly in today. For those of us working in consumer packaged goods companies and for our retailers, Loop is so far reaching that if it works, it will change everything from how you think about designing your packaging and your products, all the way to what your supply chain operations and P&L will look like. Here's our episode from earlier this week where Tom goes into depth on how Loop offers CPG brands the opportunity to shift from the single-use disposable packaging forms we use today to durable reusable forms and what the benefits are for you as a brand over and above the obvious and most important benefit of the reduction of your brand's impact on the environment. Tom Zaki, welcome to Brand Growth Heroes. I am so excited to have you on the show today and to get a real understanding of the work that TerraCycle and Loop are doing. Where are you calling in from?
1: Uh, So I'm calling in from Ohio, of all places, just here for the day and then off to Europe tomorrow.
0: Okay, wow. So let's start at the beginning. I originally got in touch because I wanted to understand more about Loop, your new zero waste consumer goods shopping platform, how it works and the trials that you're currently running in, in Paris and New York. But the more I read and listened to you speak, the more I understood that Loop is just one part of a much bigger ecosystem. Can you tell our listeners about TerraCycle, why you started the company, what you offered the CPG industry, and, and then spend some time
1: explaining your vision for Loop to us? Absolutely. Uh, so TerraCycle started, gosh, now about 18 years ago. And uh, we are a effectively an innovative waste management company with a mission to eliminate the idea of waste. And we do that first by asking companies, this would be manufacturers or retailers, is the object you make, could be a package or a product, recyclable? And if it isn't locally recyclable, we set up national platforms to collect and recycle. And that's everything from dirty diapers to cigarette butts to flexible food packaging and hundreds and hundreds of other waste streams. We then uh, progress from there to say, now that we're doing that, can we help make your product or package from waste, really creating a circular recycling loop? And that could be anything from festival waste into deodorant containers to ocean plastic into shampoo bottles. Then, uh, you know, recently, actually, about three years ago, we started asking ourselves the question, is recycling and making from recycled materials the solution to waste? And we realized that it's not. It's a solution to the symptom of waste, but not to the root cause of waste. So, in other words, it's really, really important to collect and recycle and to make from recycled materials. Critically important because we live in a disposable ecosystem today. But we need to really come up with a future where Waste is not even a question. And that's where the concept of loop came up, which is how do we ship from a recycling loop to a reuse loop? So packaging and product can just go around and around and around, simply be cleaned, refilled, and out it goes. And that was the idea of Loop really just came up three years ago. So the progress has been incredibly fast. 14 months ago, we announced it at the World Economic Forum at Davos. That's where the world first heard about it. And then in May of last year, we took it live with Carrefour in France uh, and Kroger and Walgreens in the US. And since then, over 100 major consumer product companies, you know, from Unilever to P&G, Nestle, Mars, and many, many others have joined, and about a retailer has joined every three weeks. So beyond France and uh, the U.S., uh, Loop is next launching in the U.K. Uh, with Tesco, then uh, Canada with Loblaw, uh, then in Germany, uh, then in Japan with Eon, uh, Australia with Woolworths, and that's just the next 12 months. It's really hit you know, this cord where people are looking to divorce themselves from single use, but they also want the convenience and affordability that disposability brings them. So, you know, Loop is trying to accomplish that by making everything normal, except you're buying your shampoo and refillable aluminum containers or your, your laundry detergent and beautiful glass bottles. And then when you're done, you throw it out. You just throw it into a reuse bin. And then Loop is the waste management function of reuse, where we uh, pick up either from store, if you dropped it off at store, or from your home, if you ordered online, your dirty packaging. Uh, we refund your deposits and then clean them out and they go right back to the manufacturer who refills them and then they put them right back on shelf to sell them again and uh, yeah it's been an amazing experience so far and just really a mile a minute
0: that's amazing so how is it going in paris and new york and what are the consumers or the shoppers that are using this what are they seeing what are they doing how are they experiencing it
1: Absolutely. So to take a step back, right, what Loop does is it we're not a product, nor are we a a retailer, right? So the first step is we work with brands, um, where the first step is to work with them to create reusable versions of their existing products, whether that's your Tropicana orange juice and reusable glass, all the way to your Tide laundry detergent and reusable stainless steel. So there's a big development process there that's Mm -hmm. needed, not just the packaging, which is what the visible part of it is, but also the supply chain behind it to fill and clean all of those packages. So there's quite a, you know, quite a lift there. On the other side, uh, we work with retailers and typically leading retailers in the country uh, who then uh, implement the platform. And there's sort of a. Three-stage rollout plan. So, what is live today uh, is an e-commerce model where you would only see loop products, right? So, you go to like almost like a store in a store, sure. uh, and you can buy uh, about I think 150, and it's growing every every week. Durable products that are then delivered to you in a durable shipping container, and then you put the used dirties back in there. Effectively becomes your waste bin, and then we pick it up from you. From there, uh, and for example, Carrefour is launching this, I believe, in early April of this year. They start integrating the platform directly into their own e-commerce settings. So instead of going to a shop in a shop, you go to just the main store, and you can buy both Loop products and your normal, call it, disposable products in the same shopping cart.
0: And is this online only or physically in the store as well?
1: Yes, exactly. And then two months after that, so April is when that occurs, and then in you know summer is when you'll be able to go into physical Carrefour stores. And you'll see a section of the store dedicated to Loop products, sort of like um, an organic section when the idea of organic came out. And the U.S. retailers are going to be doing that as well in around September time. And each of these steps makes it progressively easier uh, for a consumer to take part. So what we've learned so far you know, in the, in the first trial is, that people are, are really fed up with waste and are really excited about the idea of uh, reuse, mm-hmm. but they would like it to be as convenient as possible. In fact, as similar to throwing something out as possible, okay. right? So, in fact, one of our key sort of focus points is how do we make Loop feel as disposable as possible while acting reusable behind the scenes? Sure. You know, people don't want to wash out packaging, they don't want to fill it themselves, they want that ease, but they would also like to not have the negative uh, aspect of uh, disposability the other thing we've learned is that people really love the design opportunity that reuse brings you know moving uh, packaging from being say thin plastics to really beautiful materials like uh, stainless steel aluminum glass these sort of things there's a lot of love there and that while people want the price of the content to be reasonable they are less sensitive to the price of the deposit on a package so they're willing to invest uh, temporarily into a package knowing of course that they get it back in full
0: okay
1: outside that i would say you know the big learnings for us in uh, in both regions is that You know, people really are fiercely focused on convenience, you know, Mm -hmm. so uh, having to go to a different shop to buy, say, reusable products and then go back to another shop to buy your normal disposables is a little clunky, which is why we're excited about the upcoming integrations with uh, the retailers in-store and online. Um, But generally feeling, you know, we're we're, we're feeling quite good about what we've learned and ready to take the next step with our uh, fantastic retail partners.
0: So I have so many questions with my kind of, you know, FMCG, CPG yeah. startup, you know, consultant hat on, right? And even, even as my kind of assistant brand manager hat on from 22 years ago when I joined Nestle, full of ideas that, you know, potentially no one would listen to higher up the line. And if you're someone like that, if you're a young person working in a big company and you want to get your team excited about this and you want to say, how do we go forward with this? How do I What do I say to my bosses or the marketing director in the lift to get them to take this seriously?
1: Gosh, it's a good question. So the way I would focus on this, not just whether it's Loop, but any sustainability initiative, right? Mm -hmm. Usually what happens, uh, and we coach a lot of teams on this, is that it's framed in the context of solving a negative. Right. And when sustainability is framed in the context of solving a negative, it's put into a corner, and it is not seen as an opportunity. It's seen sort of as a risk solve, which means spend as little resource as possible to solve the risk and then check that box and leave it there until the box sparks yeah. at you again.
0: Right? No, one, no one can be cross with us. We've done our bit.
1: Yeah, exactly. But let's make our bit as little as possible yeah. to pacify the people who are, you know, upset, right? Exactly. And that is really not a healthy place for sustainability, or frankly, any purpose-driven project uh, to be. I think what's really exciting about the time we're in now, unlike say the 1950s, you know, which was all about you know, advertise the product and coupon it and so on. Now people uh, are really craving purposeful brands, brands doing the right thing, and will reward them. And so, if you're in the elevator, you know, and you're an ABM, you know, talking to you know whoever is the leader of the division. Most importantly, whatever purpose-based project you have, focus on how it will drive value and how it will fulfill the traditional goals that that person has, which is simply sell more stuff, you know, increase market share and so on. So if we take something as complex as Loop, right, which is about creating a whole new package concept and everything around it. The short-term value to a brand is major category leadership. It's sort of like creating the supercar of your category, you know, where, where people will aspire to it. The whole brand will win off of that, not just the loop products that you're selling. Right. You will be seen as a leader with these major retail partners around the world, not just Carrefour, Walgreens and Kroger, but, you know, Tesco in the UK or Loblaw in Canada, which are the number one customers in each of these markets uh, because they also are trying to, you know, take a leadership position on it and they need product assortment and They'll be very happy, you know, if, if your product is a part of that. And you also get a chance to to play in this new space where typically it's been the field of startups and uh, disruptors who then start taking market share away. You know, uh, this is a chance for traditional brands to own that versus waiting for, you know, someone to create a new model and then they have to look at acquiring it or uh, being harmed by it. Think of like what Dollar Shave Club or Harry's had done sure. to Gillette. Not that those are reuse models, but those are examples of, you know, these sort of disruptors that have come in and then, you know, Gillette or Bic uh, react to it by creating similar type systems, but after billions have been removed from their market share.
0: That's one of the things I find really interesting about this. As you say, it's potentially the opportunity for big food or big soda or personal care to get out there and be ahead of the insurgent brands for once. I can imagine that they're potentially better placed to mobilize behind this than, say, a small company that's just set up their co-manufacturing agreement and can't necessarily face going out there and finding a a co-packer and revisiting their whole supply chain all over again. Is, is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And in fact, you know, one of the interesting learnings I had, like originally... If, if you would have taken like a company like Colgate, you know, and Colgate has, of course, you know, your Colgate brand toothpaste, you know, the big, uh, you know, sort of big brand, but they also have Tom's of Maine, which is like the eco-organic uh, equity. If you asked me a year ago, you know, if Colgate's going to do one type of toothpaste in loop, mm-hmm. I would have said, we'll do the Tom's of Maine because I would have assumed, you know, that's the consumer and that's what they want. Yeah. But i got to tell you today, I would firmly say, and in fact, that's what Colgate will be doing is to do the Colgate brand. Why? and the big learning we had was that the 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 mass market consumer you know not the 1 or 2% but the 9998% of people they want the big brands they know but they would like those brands to be more, they want to feel better about them. Okay. They want to feel better about them from a sustainability point of view, and they want to feel better about them from a, you know, how they, uh, you know, look and the quality and so on in, in their homes. And this is a great opportunity for brands to play in. It's also much easier when, like, a big retailer wants to create an aisle or something, they want to do it with brands that they know will sell through, right? Sure. So having this is really a really a, a unique opportunity for, as you said, the the big brands to own an innovation, which is usually not the domain of big brands.
0: Yeah, it's fabulous, isn't it? So if I'm a marketing manager of a division or a marketing director of a division in a big company, am I thinking about trying to persuade my finance director of that division to give me money to buy new filling machinery? Or is there a kind of a a short term solution, a short term fix where, you know, you can outsource filling the bulk into loop packaging? How are big companies doing this right now?
1: So it's interesting, you know. Our role at at Loop is is not just to you know uh, approve the products and packaging into the system, sort of like the idea of organic would approve organic you know farming practices, but it's also really important to get the brands across the finish line as quickly as possible. Yeah. And there's really sort of two parts to this. One is the package, and the other is how you fill the package. So let's start with the package, right? Uh, there are two approaches that, if you're a brand, uh, you can do. One is you can go all the way for the stars and create a completely custom package. And some have done that, and they've gotten great value out of it, but it's expensive and takes time, right? So you're looking at low seven figures, high six figures, plus a year and a half of development. And some have the appetite for that. But most want to learn before they really jump into the deep end. And so the in-between step is to look for pre-existing durable packaging or really pre-existing durable containers. I've consciously used the word container versus package because if you Google package, you're going to get disposable choices, single-use choices. But if you Google the word container, you're going to get huge ecosystems of reusable forms that can hold content. And there's a huge ecosystem of this where you can you know, pull one, put your label on it, and then get it out there as a way to test and learn and see what the market thinks about your, your product.
0: I saw actually a packaging ad recently for someone who was um, selling loop-ready packaging. Amazingly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, we're also building up a big ecosystem of packaging companies, agencies, uh, uh, and producers who we are you know, teaching how to look at loop, uh, how to design into it. And they're developing ecosystems of uh, either design capabilities, if you're a design agency. And there's, I think, about 10 agencies that are called loop-approved agencies uh, that we would recommend that are already up to speed. And then the same on packaging suppliers. In fact, Aptar, which is a big uh, packaging company, uh, just invested in Tulu. They make like pumps and uh, closures and so on. And they did so because they're developing a new division To create reusable pumps and sprayers uh, that they want to make available for any company who wants to play in the loop ecosystem. And so it's really exciting to see that growing uh, incredibly well. And so some packaging companies are seeing this as a great opportunity uh, to expand their business, not just as a threat vis-a-vis moving to packaging that they don't produce today. On the other side, you asked about filling, right? So there is sort of three different types of filling, right? Um, Some companies, and this is why we keep the first trials small in total uh, size, may want to fill in their R&D settings, you know, where they hand fill, for example, to just get enough product out there to, again, prove demand. This is why consciously the first phase of loops deployment is always limited to a small number of consumers so that we don't overpressure the operations of the uh, manufacturers. Yeah. From there, uh, the next logical step uh, is actually not going into main production, but to co-packers. And if you're one of these big brands, any co-packer would be dying for your business and will likely install whatever equipment you want. And typically, co-packers are very entrepreneurial compared to your main operation lines, which tend to be very conservative. And then once you're feeling that the volume is good, then you would move to the main operation. So it basically de-risks the investment uh, required into filling as the volume uh, grows. And that's the key difference. You know, Loop is not like a new product launch where you spend a lot of time, get it perfect, and then go right to massive number of units. This is something that has a lot of pivots and learning in it. So you just sort of take a step, uh, learn, maybe make a pivot, then take another step. Learn, you know, and and uh, keep adding a little bit of weight every time.
0: Like like tech, really, isn't it?
1: Very much so, and that's a little bit different. There's a lot of things how Loop behaves that's different than how CPG normally behaves. So if we think CPG is one of those things where the whole product is secret, and then suddenly it's in every store everywhere, you know, call it this big mega launch with lots of marketing and everything, Loop is. Uh, does lots of things differently. You know, the opening volumes are small. Companies, many of them have released what their future products will look like, sort of like how the automotive industry releases concept cars. That never happens really in CPG. And many of the companies here have released their designs for next year or the year after. Um, And then you keep iterating uh, uh, and adding scale as you you iterate, because we're also coming up with a whole new nomenclature and new approach that we will only discover as we get there.
0: So you have your brand and you've persuaded internally your, all of your people to get behind this initiative. And you've got your, either your loop-ready packaging or you've designed, you've put, invested the money into designing your own packaging. And it looks fabulous. And I, I heard you speak on, on, online saying that some of the packaging actually ages even more beautifully. Um, can you tell us about that? Because I thought that was a real benefit to, to brands.
1: Well, you asked earlier, it was interesting, this idea of finance, right? How does finance look at this? And a key one of and maybe the most important philosophical pivot that a brand has to get over to really embrace loop is shifting the package from a cost of goods sold, which means that the entire package, say like for a plastic water bottle, is in the price of the water Mm -hmm. to the package being an asset. And uh, what I mean by that is that the company is obliged to buy back via a deposit system. So in the end, the manufacturer will own the package. Now, what happens from a finance point of view is when the package is an asset in the end, instead of the full cost of the package being in the price of of the content, it is the depreciation of the package and the cost of cleaning. And depreciation is taken by the total cost to make the package over the total number of uses it can have. Now, the cool part is it doesn't matter if the package gets lost uh, before its end of life or the consumer keeps it because then the consumer loses the deposit and that becomes effectively a profit center uh, to the brand. So any lost packaging is a financial win. And with this idea of depreciation, the most important number, and this is the cool part, is not the cost of the package, but how many uses it can have.
0: And not the years it's around.
1: A $1 package that has 10 possible uses is 10 cents per use in depreciation. But a $5 package, five times more in cost, but with 100 uses, is $0.05 cents per use or half the price per use. That's great. And suddenly, that's not something packaging designers ever think about because in disposable packaging, your denominator is always set to one, which means the only number that man- matters is the numerator or the price of the package. Mm-hmm. And if you're now going to think hard about the denominator being the important number, how many uses it can have, then you have to start thinking about ideas like, how does it age? How does it age in a way where you as a brand manager are comfortable seeing it on shelf on its 49th use? And so what we try to teach brands, this is this idea of the packaging philosophy, we're learning this and we're teaching it as uh, as we learn, is that there's two types of damage on a package. There is aesthetic damage, which is your dents or scratches. It would be, you know, if you have a pair of jeans, it would be like the hole in your jeans, right? While there is then also mechanical damage, which is, let's say the cap can't go on the bottle anymore. Mechanical damage is black and white. That just has to be rejected when that occurs. But aesthetic damage, we really want the brands to play into it and make that something as a point of pride, not as a negative. Mm-hmm. So examples uh, would be, you know we've seen uh, companies in the beer industry who're working with fantastic, you know all the way from startups, you know up to ABM Bev uh, on loop. And they a great technique is to emboss in the logo, right? So the logo is raised glass, and so the logo will scratch faster than the depressed parts, uh, which hardly will ever be scratched, which means as it goes from home to home, the contrast of the logo versus the back of the bottle increases, right? Or in some beverage packaging, uh, when you fill it, you'll see tread lines on where the parts of the, uh, you know, the, the borders of the conveyor belt hit, usually at the bottom and the top of the bottle. Yeah. And, it's, and those make the, the glass progressively more white around that, that area well, why not highlight that, you know, with like a little arrow or something that says, hey, the more white this line is, the more time it's gone around. And that also, in a way, creates a social contract with the uh, consumer that they should, you know, continue to make that package go around by putting it back in the system. Mm. And this is a whole new philosophy because in consumer products, it's always, you know, supposed to be shiny, brand new, you know, brand newly made. And here it's about something that may have gone around many, many times.
0: So we've ended up talking a lot about the technical packaging and ops side of Loop. But if we come back up for a second and ask what this does for a company that's investing in a future with less single-use packaging, what does that mean for the brand equity of the brand that's that's
1: investing in this? Yeah, absolutely. So there's two sides of this, right? If you think about Loop, it's one is the sustainability side and the other is the design side. That has actually nothing to do with sustainability. From the sustainability side, sustainability is very much a threat right now from a packaging point of view, uh, and solving it is, a, is an opportunity. You know, People are up in arms about uh, the war on plastic, the war on single use, and uh, a lot of the big brands are very steeped in that. I mean, just look at the reaction Coca-Cola got when it, I think, accurately said just last week at Davos that, you know, we're not going to get out of plastic because that's what consumers want. I mean, that is an tr- absolutely accurate statement, but it, it, it resonated in a very challenging way, yeah. right? And so there's this huge public uproar that is new. It has never been like this, and it's really emerged in the past two years. And so brands are almost obliged now to start showing innovation around how they're going to move away from the plastic crisis that that they're contributing to. So that's on the risk side. Yeah. And, you know, legislation's coming mostly in Europe, but it is going to spread to North America, Latin America, Asia, uh, but it's really the epicenter would be Europe and within that UK and, uh, and France driving a lot of it. On the other side though because you don't want just to do all this because of fear uh, is the opportunity. And what's interesting is what reusable packaging does is it's not just more sustainable in almost all cases. And if you think about you know what we learn as kids in school, you know this idea of reduce reuse recycle, this is moving from recycling to reuse. You know, it's a very clean easy to understand sustainability improvement. It's not just a little more recycled or a little more recyclable. But take all that away. The big reason brands have been flocking to Loop, at a, I think a brand has joined the platform every two days since we launched. So That's it's you know, really quite a, quite a momentum. Is because it gives the opportunity to do breakthrough design. Because you decouple the dependency on the price per unit of the pack. I mean, imagine if you're a pack designer and you're packaging granola. You're basically going to package it in a flexible sachet and then all you get to play with is the artwork. There's very, you know, you take, if you're a cereal you know, company, you're going to be a box in the back. You know, things are so limited in what you can do with packaging. People are almost, you know, the only place they can play is the art. And that's because the price of these packs are so absurdly cheap, which is also what makes them less recyclable. With Loop, you decouple that dependency and now you can innovate. And I got to tell you, so many brands have come to us and said, "Wow, we've all these ideas we had that we could never commercialize before, because our procurement team said it was too expensive. Now we can bring to life, Mm -hmm. and that's, you know, in fact, a big part of the magic. And if you look at consumers, you know, I thought most consumers would come to Loop because of sustainability. Two thirds come to Loop because of beautiful packaging, and one third come to Loop uh, primarily because of sustainability.
0: Wow, that's that's
1: amazing. So that design element is massive." Absolutely massive.
0: So one of the other things I was trying to just understand the other finance bits to this, because moving your, all of your packaging into an asset for a company means that it ends up on your balance sheet, right?
1: That's correct. Yes.
0: And what that means, I suppose, is that you're more asset rich, which means that potentially your shareholders are going to be happier or the value of your company is going to increase, right?
1: Yeah. I think from a finance point of view, there's some very interesting things that happen by your packaging becoming an asset. You, of course, have a big cash upfront, right? You have to pay you know, for the packaging upfront, and that's a cash hit. But most of these companies, that would not be a key issue. Then after that, once you have your packaging float, the only packaging you're adding to the system is if the consumption of that product grows. And you're not worried about replacement because anytime a package is lost, you have made money on it. So replacing it is a profit center, right? Because uh, let's say the de- you know a, a package costs, I'm making it up $2 to make mm-hmm. in loop. You're probably going to set the deposit at $3. And that means if the, if the package is lost, you would have made a profit of $1. So okay. the only actual net increase of investment is if you're growing the overall uh, consumption of your product, which of course, everyone would be happy to make an investment around that. And then What's really cool is if the package one day is mechanically damaged, in other words, cannot be reused again, then you still own the raw material of that package and you can recycle it back into itself. Okay. And in fact, the rules of loop are, you know, to enter a package into loop, it has to have 10 uses or more. Now that's defines durability. It has to be cleanable. That's pretty black and white. Everyone agrees to making sure it's safe and cleanable. But the third is an interesting one is that it has to be recyclable into itself at its end of life, uh. which means that you don't depreciate the package to zero. You depreciate it to the value of the material. Because think about today in a recycling system, if you're Coke or Pepsi, and you put out aluminum cans, you buy aluminum from somebody, you make a can, you put it out in the market, and then if you are using recycled aluminum, you have to buy back that aluminum from a company at whatever the market price is. Yeah, yeah. In lieu, let's say you make a reusable aluminum container, same raw material, you own that container, it's your asset. If the consumer doesn't return the container, you've made a profit, so you're totally okay with that financially. And if they do return it, but it's damaged beyond uh, use, it's still your aluminum. You don't ever have to buy it back. You own that material. And if you think about the long-term material cost trends, materials do get more expensive over time. And this way you are owning your material versus being susceptible to macroeconomic forces. Like imagine, uh, you know, the U.S. president slaps a tariff on aluminum as, as, as occurred. You are not affected by that whatsoever.
0: Why not? Why not? I didn't understand that. Last because season. you already
1: own the material, right? Uh, um, okay. You know, Okay. Um, the only time you would be affected by that is if you're increasing the total number of products in your loop ecosystem, then you would have to buy material new effectively.
0: Right. Or change material potentially.
1: That too. Yes, absolutely.
0: So there's so many benefits to a brand in terms of their sustainability agenda, their impact on the environment, the packaging opportunities it affords them that you were talking about, the financial opportunities associated with the transfer of ownership of packaging back to the company. But I suppose the big question that lots of listeners are going to have is, what will the impact of Loop be on the use of single-use packaging in the CPG industry?
1: Sure. And this is, in fact, how we measure our success, um, which is what percent of your wallet has shifted from disposable consumption to reusable consumption. Right. So in other words, I'm not going to convince you to buy more or less orange juice or laundry detergent, but I may be able to convince you to buy that same brand of laundry detergent in reusable packaging versus disposable. And in that's how we are looking at our success, not as much in revenue, but in how much of the market has shifted from single-use to multi-use. That's our primary KPI. Noting that is also going to be directly linked to revenue. So they are tied at the hip, but we measure it in that versus uh, in dollars. Now at the beginning, you know, this year, again, we're uh, just finishing the trials in uh, France uh, and the US. Those are both restricted to, uh, as I mentioned, uh, you know, a small number of consumers. So we're looking at hundreds of thousands of packages being saved, if you will, from disposable. That's a relatively tiny number. But this year is when the real scale up occurs. Retailers going in store, Uh, really expanding uh, the scope of it. And having the retailers behind you is a real magical force to get volume quickly. And that's what we're gonna start seeing starting in 2020. And the other thing, too, it's not just for, say, your Coca-Cola at Walgreens or Carrefour, uh, you know, these FMCG products. We're going to be announcing in two months a big partnership with one of the world's biggest fast food restaurants where they're moving their hamburger, French fries, you know, soda into Loop reusable packaging in a number of countries. You're going to see uh, major announcements with specialty retailers like the biggest cosmetic retailers, uh, B2B retailers, uh, you know, like food service. So we see Loop as an ecosystem for reuse And the benefit of that and why it's so important to have that range is you could end up buying your, say, soda at a fast food restaurant that's doing loop and drop off the bottle at a uh, supermarket that's doing loop, where you buy a shampoo bottle, and then you take that shampoo bottle over to a cosmetic boutique that's doing loop and drop it off. And it becomes a ubiquitous reuse platform, sort of like recycling. Because today, recycling bins are agnostic to where you bought the package, right? If you have a recycling bin in your uh, radio studio, I could put any recyclable object in there and your recycling bin would not have an opinion on where I bought it. But reuse platforms uh, do have a strong opinion on where you bought it. You know, you can today buy propane tanks that are reusable or five gallon water that is reusable or some coffee shops that have innovative and even done reusable packaging like reusable cups themselves. But you can't take the coffee cup to the place you brought the propane sure. tank and you can't take the propane tank to the place you bought the coffee cup. And that is critical because how many mono supply chains can a consumer keep in their head? And deal with everyone wants a throwaway experience, and that's what we have to give
0: them. That's what I was going to ask you actually after our prep call came away thinking. So, I'm my house, okay. Everyone's really into their home and and you know, wherever they live, their apartment, or you know, we don't have a lot of space these days. How am I going to manage in the future, you know, bags for or totes for this or totes for that? And I'm trying to imagine where I would put all of this because right now it's really easy, I just put it in the bin. You know, and I've got one recycling basket and then I actually stick everything in the car So, on my way to the tip where I can I can sort it there. But how am I going to fit everything in my house? Are we going to start building houses with rooms with, you know, different buckets or how is it going to work?
1: No, so you won't. And you laid out brilliantly, I think, and how you asked the question—you know—the key issue we're solving for. So if you take take our French launch, and I'm just using France because French consumers have incredibly small homes yeah. relative to American consumers who have very large ones. So let's take a little bit more challenged market like France. In France, the number one complaint we received in the first version of our launch was people—you know—how do I deal with this big box? You know that you ship me. Where do I put it? And I'm also, I'm being the French consumer now, I'm also a little annoyed that I have to go shop on the Loop Carrefour store to buy whatever products and then whatever is not available, I have to go back to another supermarket. So I have to have two shopping experiences Sure. and I have this box to deal with. Those were the two primary aspects that consumers did not resonate with in the first deployment. And this is why working with retailers is critically important because if we were our own retailer, that would be it. That would be our (laughs) offering, right? And it would be... Well, good. You know, please. You know, we'd be convincing you why that's a good thing, yeah. right? But that's hard. It's much easier to play into what you already want. So in the next step of uh, Loop with Carrefour in France, uh, it's called Loop par Carrefour, is sort of the brand they put against it. Um, uh, they are integrating the Loop ecosystem into their own e-commerce system. This will be live in, in April. And then it solves both the issues, right? So you can go to one shop, just carrefour.fr, and buy all the products you want, both you know your Loop products and then your disposable products, all in one shopping basket. So you don't have to do two shopping tricks. Carrefour delivers it to you with their own trucks and you don't need a big tote because Carrefour also picks it up from you on their next delivery. So ah. you just have like a little, imagine the same material that makes up a reusable shopping bag, yeah. but uh, sort of like a sealable version, You know, but you could fold it into your pocket if you want to. Mm-hmm. And that becomes your waste bin. So you do need an extra bin, call it now a reuse bin, um, and that is directly picked up from you. Carrefour effectively becomes your waste management company for reuse. And then in the summer, when they go in-store, you'll be able to buy in-store the products and uh, drop off in-store on your next shopping trip.
0: If I've bought stuff in, you know, I don't know, whatever cosmetic high street stores that are signing up with you guys, can I also put those in my car for a tote, reuse bag? That's
1: the beauty. Okay. That's the beauty is that you never, let's say you decide, and let's now, you know, say you're in France two years later and Mm -hmm. there's 10 retailers doing loop. Everything from high-end cosmetics to fast food to, let's say, mass market like Carrefour, you don't have to worry where you bought the product. Any Loop product can go back into any Loop recollection system.
0: Okay, that's brilliant. So what? how many single-use packaging are we going to save over a, a particular period, a year or a few years? Is I suppose the, the answer is in the air, really. It depends on what the take-up is, right?
1: I'd say it's entirely up to the people who participate, Yeah. right? Yeah. And yeah. what I've noticed from consumer insights, which is really exciting, is that once people try Loop, the biggest thing they want is more products. They want to go more and more, you right, know. Exactly. Uh, and that's one of the sort of the neat things. It's once you start living in a world of durable, reusable packaging, yeah. disposable just doesn't look good anymore.
0: No, it feels you know?
1: bad. It feels bad. It doesn't. Uh, everything about it is not not as good. So you want to divorce yourself, but you want to keep buying the brands you like. So our job is to make sure that every brand you like has a loop alternative and that every retailer you shop at today has a loop section. That's our master job here sure. uh, uh, to accomplish so that and then to make sure the system is as close to a throwaway experience as absolutely possible.
0: What about you know all the extra truck rides to and from people's houses to deliver the new products to them? How do we account for that in terms of environmental damage or that kind of stuff?
1: It's a really good question. And um, I'm smiling, you can't see me smile here, but I'm smiling as you ask it because the number one environmental question we get for Loop is always what about all the shipping, right? Yeah. And here's what's interesting. If you take the models, right, if it's uh, e-commerce, in most of the retail models, the retailer will be delivering it to you and picking it up from you, which is using an empty truck that was already leaving your home to take the packaging back. So it's actually net less shipping. Because you don't have to put that waste into a garbage truck, which is actually the worst type of vehicle from a carbon emissions per kilometer traveled basis. Okay. On um, if you buy in store, then you'll be taking your loop products back to the store on your next shopping trip, and you're going to be driving there anyway. And so there's no that last mile waste management uh, step, which has to be incurred for your garbage or recycling, evaporates, and it's actually reuse is less transportation than recycling. And I say this as a a recycling company, first and foremost. In recycling, I got to pick up your recyclables from your home in a garbage truck, take it to a sorting center. From a sorting center, take it to a processing center. From a processing center, take the plastic to a bottle molding center. From a bottle molding factory to a filling factory where they fill it and then it goes back onto a shelf if you do a bottle-to-bottle recycling system. In reuse, I just got to get it from your home to a sorting and cleaning center and back to a filling center. It's actually less transportation than the recycling system would be, which is even better than a disposal system. And this is why when we look at life cycle analyses that measure not just global warming potential, which is carbon dioxide, but many other environmental indicators like uh, air quality, water quality, and so on, uh, it tends to be, uh, a loop tends to be about 75% better than a recyclable disposable package. Um, now what's important to note is that is only the case if consumers actually send back the packaging. Yeah. If consumers keep the packaging, it's worse than disposable because these durable containers are made from typically thicker, heavier and higher quality materials. So reuse works if the consumer participates.
0: Okay. And my last question is. It's been said that some of the products are more expensive because obviously you've got to pay your deposit and et cetera, et cetera. Is over time, as the scale of this grows, is it going to become affordable for not everybody, but, you know, the mass market?
1: Absolutely, yeah. So uh, uh, today I would say that the pro- some products are priced, if you look at content first, then uh, products range from being exactly the same price per ounce content to being uh, somewhat premium. Um, if it's the big brands, the ones that really have their manufacturing down, then usually the premium is never more than 25%, and many times they're experimenting to see can they use Loop as a way to premiumize their product. Um, we do have, uh, where sometimes you may experience higher prices with loop is where we're testing a category, you know, let's say we're testing, um, nuts or something and we don't have a brand ready yet. We may put in some private label nuts we produce okay. just to test out the category temporarily. And because loop is not a manufacturer of product, we are really not efficient at producing product, which is where you may see much higher, uh, prices noting there's no long-term intent of those are just category tests. And so the long-term expectation, even what you should expect in 2020 as this deploys into retailers, is that the price of the content will be similar, uh, if not the same, as your, the same content in disposable packaging. The only extra expense is a deposit, which you get back in full at the end.
0: Sure. I think that would be a great fourth rule for loop on your packaging top.
1: <laughs> Man- Absolutely. Manu- no, manufacturers no, have and to You have- know, the rules evolve, right? We make them harder every year. Yeah. Uh, but it's one of those, you know, sort of pieces where we want to make sure we get all the consumer products companies feeling like they can do it.
0: Yeah. Let's get them in. And I know, then I know. we
1: keep improving the standards year over year over year.
0: Because it would be such a shame, you know, this is such a big opportunity. It'd be such a shame for, you know, the big guys to price out most of the market just because they want to make a an extra bit of margin. I think uh, that fourth rule would be would be brilliant because it would mean that, you know, we go mass market with this much more quickly. And there's so much like benefit you. for the big companies anyway, without making extra margin on this. There's so much benefit from a, a sustainability environmental brand perception. They don't need to add on anything extra. That's what I would say to them.
1: No, I'm I'm fully with you. And I think, look, the the good news is, you know, companies, know, I mean, you you know, you said you were at Nestle before, you know, Nestle is a key partner of Loop as many other big ones. They want volume, you know, they want big, big volume and they're going to price it right to drive big mass market, you know, Walmart type volume. They're not interested in niche plays because they're just not set up to manage little tiny side units.
0: That's true. That's true. There's no point in buying a big capex machine for just a small niche. No. Initiative. No. Okay, that makes me feel slightly better. I'll keep my fingers crossed that that's what yeah. actually happens in the end. And I
1: think you'll see that. Like a good. Here's another key. Um, just to add more optimism to that statement, is that this is why having the retailers is so critically valuable okay. to us. Because, for example, when you know Kroger's going in store this year, so is Carrefour. They are the ones negotiating the prices with the uh, vendors. Loop doesn't have to do any negotiation on prices. It's the retailers and what are retailers right. in the business of? Yeah, yeah. Beating up the vendors to get the best possible price. And you have when you have the world's biggest retailers telling vendors, "We want your products," and their buyers are procuring, yeah. consumers will get the best possible price, imaginable.
0: We can leave it in their capable hands so doing what they're good at doing.
1: Well, that's, and that's the whole thesis statement of Loop is we need every actor to be doing what they're good at. You know, manufacturers producing great products at high efficiencies, retailers, you know, getting that to the consumer at the best price. Consumers, frankly, living a disposable experience because that's what they want. And Loop's function is sort of to bring it together and act as the waste management side of reuse, which is the one missing puzzle piece in the whole equation.
0: Well, listen, Tom, with that, thank you so much for your time today. I know you've got to run, but I really appreciate it. I feel like I understand this a lot more. One last piece of advice for any business owners out there in Food & Bev or or brand managers. What should they be starting to do right now?
1: Yes, my my biggest piece of advice is, you know, this century is very much going to be defined by the environment. I think that's loud and clear, and it's only going to be uh, bigger and bigger. And the traditional way to look at sustainability is from a lens of risk. And I really encourage any brand owner out there to reframe it in the lens of opportunity, because then your sustainability activities will be bigger, more profound, and much more importantly, when you rotate to the next brand or the next uh, assignment you have, it will survive and grow and not be dependent on you constantly championing the idea to your colleagues.
0: Well, that is really great advice and wishing you the very, very best of luck with this initiative as it rolls out across the world. And hopefully you'll come back and talk to us towards the end of the year and let us know how you're getting on.
1: I look forward to it. Absolutely.
0: Thanks a million, Tom. I appreciate it.
1: Cheers. Thank you.